and welcome to the latest episode of It Stinks, the Critic Podcast. I'm your host, Brian Rubinow, and today we're going to be looking at episode four of season two, A Song for Margot. And we also are doing something a little bit different here today. I have an actual in-studio guest, uh, so please welcome uh, Jordan Rubinow. Yo, what up, everybody? How's it going out there in <laughs> podcast world? <laughs> so, lest everybody think that I've thrown caution to the wind and am trying to catch COVID or something, no, the uh, reason I'm able to do an to have an in studio guest is because we actually live together. That's right. That's right. As of uh, last June. Yep we uh, we moved into uh, this current house that we're in kind of an upgrade from living in an apartment it's very nice we have lots of space a lot of wonderful plants that we have to take care of <laughs> but it's 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 great oh, and we have a, another in-studio guest uh our dog little mac little mac say something for the people <laughs> yeah little unfortunately Mac's a- He's little, a very quiet dog. He is very quiet, which is actually a, a good thing. I don't know why I said unfortunately. It's it's nice having a dog that's not noisy. Unfortunately for you guys at this moment, but fortunate for us living with him because he never barks and he's the sweetest boy in the world. He is. Uh, but we're not here to talk about Little Mac. We're here to talk about uh, The Critic. That's right. So, Jordan, I know, I'm pretty sure you watched The Critic when it was on originally, because I was watching it, so odds are you were as well. What do, what do you remember, like, from watching it as a kid? I remember being too young to appreciate it as a child. I think it was airing when I was less than 10 years old or around 10 years old. Uh, so... Um, I obviously didn't get any of the, you know, super obscure Hollywood jokes, and I didn't know most of the people they were making fun of, but I do remember watching it and enjoying it, similar to The Simpsons and other cartoons that I enjoyed. And then what I really remember about it is coming back to revisit it, I want to say probably in college when I was really into, like, downloading shit illegally off the internet. Oh, yeah. Music, videos, everything. And so I rediscovered a lot of old shows from my childhood when I was, like, you know, just bored in college. And I just remember, like, just absolutely loving it. Like, I couldn't believe I didn't remember how funny it was and just really appreciating it on another level, like, coming back to it uh, later. Yeah, that's always the best, like when you like remember liking something and then you revisit it and it turns out, Oh, it's still good. And in fact, better than I remember. Yeah. Even better. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Cause there's so many things that you like as a kid. And if you go back and watch them again, it's like, Oh, I can't believe I ever liked that. <laughs> yes. Like Degrassi, the next generation, <laughs> yes. which, which our Samsung TV has an entire channel dedicated to coincidentally. <laughs> yeah. If, if anyone else out there has Samsung plus, or uh, if you use um, Pluto.tv, there is a 24-hour um, Degrassi channel, but also like a 24-hour Bob Ross channel, which is pretty cool. Wonderful. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so, yeah, we're looking at the episode A Song for Margot today. Now, did you did you remember this episode from like when you were young? Not at all. Not at all, no. Yeah, me neither. I don't know if I just missed it or... Maybe it was just not a very memorable episode because I, I remember, yeah, just rewatching it for this podcast. I was just sort of like, 
Yeah, this one's okay, I guess. It's not the best one. It didn't make me uh, laugh out loud like other critic episodes have, but it did have a very uh, sweet story. I think it told uh, good... It had good character development of Jay's family, um, which, you know, I think is something that you mentioned on the uh, Mike Reese podcast, how that's done so well in the Simpsons and not done as well here. But I thought this was a little bit of an exception to that, where you really kind of get a heart for Margo. You get a, a little bit of more understanding of his parents. I, uh, unfortunately haven't, um, you know, watched a whole lot of other critic episodes recently. I watched a few tr- to try to get ready for this, uh, podcast, but I don't know how much, uh, I know the parents are always kind of this obscure, um, almost like too rich to be in touch with reality couple. And but you kind of, um, you know, got a heavy dose of that in this and kind of did a little bit more development into their character. And so I, I liked it for that reason. But it was not like the purely most funny episode. And I didn't like their portrayal of the uh, the quote Kurt Cobain type character either <laughs> but um that's whatever that's we I'm sure we can we'll get into that later yeah um Jay's family well like yeah as you said his parents tend to show up a lot they use Franklin a lot whenever they need like a quick punchline uh which is awesome everyone loves Franklin um but yeah Margot his sister is not in a ton of episodes um because yeah I, they they don't really like figure out like good stories for her um like the the, there's one in the first season where she goes to a debutante ball which i kind of like that episode there's some good conflict because she's like you know she's kind of feminist so she doesn't want to do it and she gets into conflict with her her mom uh but here it's sort of just like yeah she falls in love with the a a grunge rock star who uh yeah i guess was supposed to be kind of Kurt Cobain-ish, but he's really kind of just like a generic rock star, I thought. Yeah, his his only um, association with Kurt Cobain is that they call him the biggest grunge star of the time. Literally, they call him that. Uh, but it really, in personality and substance-wise, he's more like a Motley Crue member or something like that, or just, uh, I don't know, maybe like, like a 60s... Uh, careless acid head uh, lead singer of a band like uh i don't know maybe the front runner of uh the stones before jagger who like which went crazy off his head on drugs um what's his name brian jones or something like that yeah um yeah he's basically just a careless rock star yeah though i think maybe they based his appearance off of kurt cobain or maybe they just like turned on mtv for five seconds and was like Okay, so that's what a rock star looks like these days. So Yeah, and he had oddly like big feet, I think. In one <laughs> scene you see him like chilling by a pool and he has like these massive feet. I thought that was weird. And he honestly his appearance from the get-go was just kind of off to me. But going back to your point about Margot not having uh very many good stories about her, she also is looks strikingly like Jay's girlfriend. Just like a younger, mm. less attractive version. There's like a scene in the end where the whole family's together, you know, and I just noticed with the girlfriend and I just noticed like, wow, they have the same color hair, the basically the same style face. Margot has like, you know, a, they try to make her like more girl next door and try to make Jay's girlfriend a little bit more attractive, you know, and mature looking and obvious and that, you know, 
I mean, they have to do that for the show, but like otherwise, they're basically the same character. So I could totally see them kind of getting tied up in that knot. Yeah. And that kind of goes back to also something Mike Reese said in that in my interview with him, where he said he he never really liked the character design. Like we, like the critic never had like a Matt Groening who's like really good at making memorable or friendly looking characters. Um, yeah, they they do kind of look a little generic, which is unfortunate. Yeah, and just disproportionate in some scenes as well <laughs> to where I think sometimes it works to a comic advantage, but when you're trying to introduce this, like, you know, super cool uh, rock star, it just looked weird, you know? Yeah, because, like, sometimes they have, like, these big, bulgy, like, cartoon eyes that give them that sort of cutesy kind of cartoony look. Um, but other times, I don't know, they try to look more serious, so they have, like, kind of more realistic features. Yeah, it's it's weird, but yeah. So let's let's uh, get into uh, let's start at the beginning of this episode. So we start uh, on Jay's show. He's reviewing Keanu Reeves and Christian Slater in uh, I forget what it was called, but it's basically a Star Trek parody. All right, you two. Who wrote Beavis and Butthead Rule on the back of my skull? Not us, man. <laughs> 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 Yeah, they, like, Keanu and Christian Slater are both very common targets on this show. Uh, I don't know, what did you think of uh, this this scene? I thought the comparison to Beavis and Butthead was kind of on point for the time. Uh, it was very topical. I liked it. However, I thought there was a much funnier Star Trek spoof in uh, the very previous episode that you probably just did a podcast on last week, where it's like... I don't know the different. Was that will where William Shatner was singing, or is that in this episode? Uh, no, that was this one. Okay, I think you're referring to when it was basically like Star Trek hee haw. Yes, yes, yes. The Star Trek he and they're all doing basically line dancing. Yeah. that was hilarious. But um, I don't want to get off topic. Let's stick to this yeah. episode. So yes, the compare this did have some very. Um, funny and topical, but I want to say kind of overdone Star Trek riffs about like um, William Shatner's, uh, you know, odd syncopated speech rhythm. Yeah. And um, but they were they were pretty good. Um, like I said, I wasn't dying out loud laughing, but I was appreciating it. I what I did laugh out loud when they they made the Beavis and Butthead joke. Okay. Yeah. I don't know if you want to detail <laughs> that for the audience. I don't remember it specifically, but well, just basically. Keanu and Christian Slater act like Beavis and Butthead because they're dumb. <laughs> yeah, and then I think uh, Picard or one of the characters insults them and, and basically says they're Beavis and Butthead, and then they just like break into the exact laughs. Yeah, um, and they're and like and going back to the character design, their features start to like morph into Beavis and Butthead a little bit as they're laughing, and it it, it it's well executed. Yeah, <laughs> and then they break into like a um. I don't know, some sort of Star Trek medley where Picard is singing backup for one of Shatner's uh, right. uh, album performances or something like that. Yeah, basically just another way to make fun of the way Shatner talks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, essentially, yes. Yeah, so Jay, eventually he ends up at his parents' house where this is where we get the first step of the main plot where Margot is kind of lamenting her lack of a boyfriend. And then wouldn't you know it, their parents are getting new neighbors, and and the new neighbor happens to be the uh, 
the grunge rock star we were talking about. Uh, Johnny Rath is his name. Yes, and his grunge band, um, what is it, Eat All the Nuns? Nuns in a Blender. Nuns in a Blender, yeah. Which also isn't very grunge. Like, I don't know what that is. It's like, it's almost like death metal death or something. Death metal, yeah. Death metal. So it's, yeah, he's just kind of like a jumble. It's of a different... very broad sweeping criticism of rock. Or yeah. A very broad sweeping <laughs> joke of um, just the metal and grunge uh, scene. Yeah. Oh, and I, I forgot to mention earlier that I did kind of pick out this episode for you because I know you're like the world's biggest Nirvana fan and I thought you might connect with, I thought you might connect with Johnny Rath, but that was before I realized, oh, wait, he's just like a generic rock star, not really a Cobain ripoff. No, he's not in any sense of the word. Like, as I mentioned, it's very broad sweeping. They just dropped the word grunge in, and that's really his only association to Cobain whatsoever. He's just a a careless rock star who's um, basically, you know, living his life, uh, sex, drugs, and rock and roll, and trying to seem like he has some sort of sweet personality and that he's down to earth. Um, but it's kind of all an act. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, though we do find out that the butler, Shackelford, is a huge Nuns in a Blender fan. Shackelford, you listen to grunge rock? Before I was your butler, I would battle for the Beatles and the Turtles and the Eagles and the Kings of Heavy Metal. You're a heavy metal eagle, turtle, beetle, butler. And I once dusted the lamp of John Cougar Mellon Camp. Would you like to work for me? This was clearly meant to be. Yeah, this is a spoof of, a, of an old Dr. Seuss cartoon. You know those old classic Dr. Seuss cartoons? That's what I got from that. Because yeah. also going back to the character design, you also see uh, the butler's like features and animation like kind of morph into one of those uh, old Dr. Seuss uh, cartoons as he's spitting rhymes and then even the mother makes a quip about how she's happy that he's gonna scratch the itch of uh, working with his favorite <laughs> yeah fa- with his favorite uh, musician and then of course he comes back with a rhyme about he's happy to not work uh, for that scathing witch anymore <laughs> I thought that was pretty good actually and I thought that this scene was uh, also uh, rather enjoyable and and unique and funny yeah. Yeah, I, d- I did not see a, a Dr. Seuss joke coming. That was kind of uh, pretty original. Definitely. And, of course, Margot, uh, I think it's kind of love at first sight. Or maybe we get that later. I don't really remember. But uh, basically, oh, I liked this thing where that night, I guess Nuns in a Blender is, is practicing... <laughs> sleep with that awful racket you know as long as we're both awake we could know well you have to come to me maybe tomorrow night yeah that was a funny little um quip there yeah i did enjoy that yeah one of the only i guess clues we get to the real nature of eleanor and franklin's relationship i thought maybe they loved each other but eleanor no, she's she's completely cold. <laughs> yeah, she doesn't have any sort of uh, redeeming or human features to her. She's basically <laughs> a robot. But I thought also just uh, Franklin's quick surrender was pretty funny. Or it wasn't even quick. He actually thought about it for a moment. He's like, yeah. <laughs> am I going to you know, make it through these dogs and this barbed wire? Um, and then he's like, oh, 
I guess I'll try again tomorrow. Yeah. <laughs> Just a funny oh, comment on uh, marriage life, I guess, in general. Yeah. Well, perseverance, Franklin. That that pays off. Um. Uh. So then. The next scene, we get the other plot of this episode. Uh, Alice needs to find a preschool for her daughter, Penny, uh, because she's been spending too much time with Doris. Jay, do you know where I could find a good preschool for Penny? I don't know if I like her hanging around Doris all day. Oy, my hip is killing me. Hey, at least you don't have diaper rash, Mahjong. I don't know. I thought they, they could have done a lot more with, with Penny and Doris together. That, that, that seems like a good pair. Yeah, I think they have made a, uh, other jokes about that, at least in the couple other episodes that I saw. They did make a quip mm-hmm. about Penny uh, spending time with Doris as well. Um, this one was funny. They made uh, Penny do like a little uh, joke about diaper rash and comparing it to um, Doris's old woman problems. Uh, she's like, oh, well, I, have you ever dealt with diaper rash like this? Mahjong or something. Yeah. And, you know, you know, it kind of got you into that. Yeah, it was pretty funny. I didn't I didn't hate it. Uh, but yeah. So Al- but Alice does not approve of of Penny, you know, spending all that time with Doris. So they need she needs to find a preschool. Uh, Jay flashes back to his own preschool. We have a special guest today, children, Dr. Timothy Leary, and he brought his own Kool-Aid. Next thing I knew, I was down at the Hungry Eye, jamming with Dylan. Yeah, they missed a great opportunity to uh, have the Kool-Aid man bash through the wall (laughs) and say, oh, yeah. Uh, That would really be anticipating Family Guy if they did that. Yes. Uh, But uh, no, it's of course, since it's Timothy Leary... He, I guess he's administering the electric Kool-Aid acid test, so that Kool-Aid was probably spiked with something. So that sets Alice off on her search for the perfect preschool. We get uh, basically, of course, comedy rule of threes. She goes to like two terrible preschools, the Oliver Twist preschool and then the Nightmare on Elm Street preschool. Come on in. It's nap time. You will not or be eaten by the worm from hell. I don't like this school. Which part didn't you like? It's the worm from hell, isn't it? He's not so bad once you get to know him. Let's go, honey. I don't know. I thought the Freddy Krueger preschool was kind of badass. That was, uh, yes, I liked that. I don't know. They could have done, I think, I think they could have executed it much funnier. It was badass, but I don't know if it was funny. There's like, I don't know. He's like, he's pulling off a really good pitch for the preschool. And then he mentions like a worm from hell or something. Uh, and then he, and then he gets really nervous. <laughs> and then the worm from hell spews through the, through the floor. And then he like basically gives the worm from hell a cold look after a penny and, yeah. <laughs> and uh, the mother storm out of the room. I, it wasn't bad. I thought it could have been done maybe funnier. Yeah, I, I liked The Worm from Hell. I don't know if that's actually from Nightmare on Elm Street because I've never actually seen any of those movies, but uh, I hope it is. Uh, but So she ends up at, what is it, Rainbow's End Preschool. I, I like the, the sign outside. says, one of New York Magazine's 10 least evil preschools. Yeah, which I think was a direct uh, re- reference back to the last two preschools as yeah. well, who were quite evil. <laughs> I mean, the Oliver Twist one, you can kind of imagine what that one was like, audience. Yeah. 
yeah, you know, Alice thinks like, oh, you know, Penny is never going to be able to get in or she won't be able to afford it or something. Just basically, you know, she's found the perfect school, but she can't get her kid in there. For this is reason. the private school in the neighborhood and the other two are the public schools in the neighborhood. So yeah, she knows <laughs> that not only will Penny not be accepted, but she couldn't afford it even if she did. No, yeah. Um, Freddy Krueger, definitely the, the product of a public school education. Without a doubt. <laughs> so then what happens? I guess we get, oh yeah, another scene with uh, Margot and Johnny Rath together. Uh, they So they they are chasing their horses instead of riding them, which is weird. And then they roll in the grass together. I don't know. I remember the editing on this sequence in particular being quite off i don't know how it uh made it through like you know post um but i just remember the whole sequence just had a weird rhythm uh odd cuts yeah this i you know it was like whatever it's like obviously he's like trying to uh develop something with this girl but it's very clear that you know she's just falling for him because she's a you know a a rich daughter and he's a rock star yeah (laughs) yeah and yeah, so they're just basically establishing that, yeah, they're falling for each other. But then we get Eleanor spying on them, saying that he's stealing their daughter. First he stole my butler, now he's stealing my daughter. Well, he won't steal the silverware. I've glued that to the ceiling. Uh, Dad, I understand the silverware, but why the dog? You understand the silverware? <laughs> Cuckoo. This was uh, exactly the type of jokes I remember about their parent, about Jay's parents from oh, the yeah. show. Uh, yeah, and then this actually had a very clever, uh, but also super on point uh, Franklin joke about the dog. Oh yeah, where Jay goes like, "Look, I I get the silverware, but why the dog?" Yeah, so the camera pans to all the silverware that Franklin's glued on the ceiling <laughs> from this you know, completely random joke that he made, but is actually true. And then, so it's panning across the ceiling and then you hear a bark. And then he also glued the dog to the ceiling. So Jay says, dad, I get the silverware, but what about the dog? And then Franklin looks at the camera and says, you get the silverware. And then he like, does like a cuckoo, like finger around the, the side of the, of the head, like, uh, uh, motion. (laughs) You know, it's just pure Franklin. Uh, yeah. Good old-fashioned, enjoyable, <laughs> funny Franklin. He's, he's always going to be, like, crazy in ways that you don't see coming, which is great. Yeah, yeah. Definitely a unique character. There's absolutely no cartoon character like him, except for maybe, you know, like, old-school Bugs Bunny or Daffy Duck. But no character that's come since has been quite quite as random as Franklin and, and still been able to execute it well. Oh, yeah. Franklin rules. Um, so then in the next scene, we, uh, get a scene from the, uh, show hard copy, uh, basically like, yeah, like a, uh, that's what they, it's a tabloid show. Yeah. And, uh, (laughs) I like the first joke, OJ refuses to speak and they cut to, I guess the OJ trial where there's a literal pitcher of orange juice on the stand. 
Yeah, this was that kind of a cheap joke in my opinion, and there were a lot of them in this episode. Just very easy puns, and um, you know, just basically cheap jokes. Yeah, uh, which I think if when they do them well, are you know make you like really enjoy the episode and fill the episode up. Uh, in this case, they kind of fell flat. Yeah, uh, and I guess the O.J. Simpson trial was probably going on at the time, so. It was topical, at least. But the next but story... yeah, it's like, ha-ha, OJ. Oh, it's orange juice. Hilarious. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the same joke people have been making about him since he played in college. Uh, uh, but the the next story is Johnny Rath and Margot dating. They Their relationship is already uh, on TV. And, oh yeah, and they, they went on the Howard Stern show together. Well, Howard, uh, my new album is... Um... Shut up. Margo, can I see you naked? <laughs> of course not. Then get out. <laughs> Robin, what's so funny? I don't know. I wasn't listening. <laughs> this was an excellent portrayal of Howard Stern, actually. Yeah, like, so before he was, like, a judge on America's Got Talent, he was actually, like, the type of person that, like, parents didn't want their kids listening to. I love how you have to explain that to your audience. Well, <laughs> uh, yeah, I, no, I'm sure that you know this. This show is for the TikTok generation, so uh, <laughs> I have to explain these things for sure. Howard Stern was like the anti-radio host, uh, a like r- anti-talk radio host uh, of the '90s. We he totally flipped like the radio industry on its head back when it was still relevant. Uh, and he was like the only talk radio guy who talked about sex and cursed and got in a lot of trouble and got fined and still made it through. And, you know, it was like a man of the people. Yeah. This was, you know, back when, you know, cursing uh, on a radio show was a, a big deal because you had, you know, broadcast standards and things like that. It wasn't all just on the internet where no one cares precisely yeah so so yeah they're on the howard stern show then we i forget exactly how we get to this but eleanor says the pope is trapped in their hedge maze our family has always avoided unwanted publicity for instance the pope is being trapped in our hedge maze for a week and we haven't told anyone don king how do you get out of this maze if i knew i'd be there <laughs> and we, so we see the pope with just his little hat sticking up above the hedge and don king is there just it's, another it, it was some sort of comment about how i think franklin said something about how johnny rath is just a lost soul or or maybe i don't know if it was franklin so maybe jay's girlfriend or something said oh you know maybe because uh, Jay has been expressing concern that he thinks like Johnny is taking advantage of her, right? Mm-hmm. I don't know if that's been introduced yet in this episode, but that's definitely a theme throughout. And um, you know, someone comments to Jay like, "Oh, I, you know, I think he's just a lost soul." And then Eleanor says, "Do you know m- how many famous people have got lost, <laughs> you know, on our property?" <laughs> and uh, <laughs> and I think that's when they cut to the Pope with Don King. Uh, collectively lost in a hedge maze on the Franklin and Eleanor's property, uh, and and Don King that they make a hilarious joke. I don't remember. It was one of my favorite of the episodes. Is this where Don King like tries to get 
the Pope into a like a title fight or something, or is that the one at the end? Yeah, I think that's the story? one at the end. Okay. Yeah, I forget what joke they do here. Maybe but... it was just seeing Don King and seeing his hair stick up above the hedges like the Pope's uh, hat was. <laughs> that was pretty good. It was pretty yeah. good. <laughs> so then, oh yeah, so I guess Shackelford the butler like just left and went to Johnny Rath's house, so they need a new butler, and they get... Um, That's right. They get Franklin pulling a Mrs. Doubtfire. Hello, I'm Mrs. Doubt Franklin. Watch me lose my false teeth and set my bosoms on fire. <laughs> oh, Franklin, you're not fooling anybody. Oh, I'm sorry, dear. I just did this because I wanted to see the children. You can see them anytime. Well, who wants to do that? Hilarious bit. This was yeah. a great bit. He does yeah. he does the voice and everything, like the fake, like old British granny. Yes, and and obviously Eleanor sees right through it, and she says. <laughs> And and, he, and she asks him why he's doing it. And he's like, because I want to spend time with the children. And she's like, <laughs> you can spend time with the children anyway. And he's like, who wants to do that? <laughs> that was uh, maybe my other favorite joke of the episode. Um, there were three. It was the Pope and Don King. There was this one. And then one late coming later that I'll mention once we get there. All right. Yeah. Don't let me uh, skip over it. Yeah. All right, we check in back with uh, Alice meeting with the um, the principal or whoever, the the head of uh, Rainbow's End Preschool, saying, yeah, basically Penny can't get in. Then they get a call from Michael Jackson, who wants in to the school. Sir, Michael Jackson on line one. Mr. Jordell, do you have any openings? For the last time, Michael, we only take children. Either a joke about his pedophilia or a joke that he was childlike. I don't know. Pick your poison. Yes, he uh, Jackson asked if there was any availability, and the principal said, uh, for the last time, Michael, we only accept kids. Uh, yeah, obviously take your pick there. Um, <laughs> another cheap joke that... Uh, you know, is yeah. maybe I would have enjoyed in the '90s or even the 2000s, mm -hmm. but by 2021, um, <laughs> it just made this episode dated a little bit. Yeah, Michael Jackson definitely a popular target in the '90s, and now it's just like, uh, come on. So then, oh yeah, Jay and Margot are hanging out in Margot's treehouse, which I thought this was a little weird. We get a few scenes like Margot just has a treehouse that she likes to hang out in. Super Bart Simpson esque. Um, definitely, <laughs> oh, yeah. definitely a carryover from the Simpsons creators to uh, have the super relatable friendship, uh, uh, you know, sibling moments in a treehouse. Um, and and Margot is even voiced by Bart Simpson's voice actor. Uh, God, I'm Nancy a Cartwright. I asked yes. you about that the other day because her name was in the credits in the first two episodes too even though margo is nowhere to be seen which right. is pretty funny yeah but yeah nancy cartwright voicing margo also in a treehouse here they watch johnny rath being interviewed uh by tom snyder on the late late show and now back to the late late show with host tom snyder now johnny you rock and roll stars you uh, you wear your hair long you, you shake your hips what, 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 what's the deal what are you a hundred Something like that, yes. There wasn't even a joke here, really, I guess, other than just Tom Snyder being kind of lame. I don't know. This was just a, a very um, dated topical joke about probably, yes, Tom Snyder being wacky and lame and <laughs> uh, probably just a comment on the modern uh, news 
yeah. media shows. Yeah. But we get to Jay goes to meet with Johnny and, you know, Johnny kind of, he says he really does love Margot and doesn't want to hurt her or anything. So Jay is reassured. I swear, man, I'd never do anything to hurt Margot. You know, my gut's telling me we're going to be friends. There's a pumpkin pie cooling on his windowsill. You make nice, and the pie is mine. Yeah, this was another scene just where it was with the writing. Uh, like, I didn't understand what exactly swayed Jay over to, you know, actually be convinced to like him because he was super skeptical. And then Johnny didn't, he basically laughed at him when he walked up. Um, and then, he, oh, he said he liked his show or something like that. Or he said he respected him because he's oh. also like a famous Hollywood guy. And that's really the only reason why Jay liked him is because he complimented him. And uh, I don't know, something about yeah. the writing of the scene just didn't didn't persuade me that Jay would really swing over that easily. Yeah, they don't really give Johnny Rath much complexity as a character no he has absolutely no personality no complexity he's just uh like a rock star in quotes that's yeah. that's really all he is yeah that's basically they it. you they manipulate him whichever way they need to like in the episode at just using different facets of what they would perceive a rock star's personality to be yeah um and then oh okay we're getting to what i think may be your other favorite joke uh when um Jay's review of DT, the drunken terrestrial, gets interrupted by the beer bottle. One of my sponsors is Bloat Beer, but they'd be the first to admit that drinking is the worst. Bloat beer for breakfast, bloat beer for lunch, bloat beer while you're driving, it really packs a punch. Get off the stage! I'll cut you, man, I'll cut you! That's the last time I hire Sean Young to be a dancing beer bottle. <laughs> that's the one well this is a recurring uh joke which is uh yes but go ahead and set it up so yeah uh i mean we get this i thought personally kind of lame movie parody dt the drunken yeah it was just... another cheap joke on alcoholism um it's there's a whole lot of them all sprinkled throughout the show yeah but anyway jay says he liked the anti-alcoholism message of the movie and then he immediately gets interrupted by, I guess the you know the sponsor of his show, Bloat Beer, and this dancing beer bottle comes in, uh, the way you might see in like a I don't know like a a fifties musical or something. Yep. And uh, Duke Phillips mentions that it's Sean Young inside the beer bottle. And oh, and this is the also the part where like the dancing beer bottle breaks herself on a on a table and and comes after Jay, right? Yeah, well, that's the funniest part is uh, uh, I don't remember what triggers her, and I don't think Duke even mentions that it's Sean Young until later in the episode. But for some reason, the beer bottle gets triggered by something that Jay says. I think. And uh, smashes the head of the bottle on uh, like a table, and then like charges at Jay. Um, I just thought it was a very uh, unique pull on Sean Young, and she also comes back later in the episode, uh, which I won't give away. But um, it, it just delighted me to the, the fact that they uh, knew about how cr kind of crazy she was, and she has this kind of underground reputation in Hollywood for being just kind of batshit uh, and barely keeping her composure on set. 
and um, you and I even watched, you know, her her Catwoman proposal to Tim Burton on the Joan Rivers show last night, which was just even more bizarre actually than I remembered. <laughs> yeah, so this was this was news to me. You you told me about this that uh, I guess when Tim Burton was making Batman Returns. You know, it was like the biggest thing in Hollywood. All the stars wanted to be cast in it. And I guess there was some, uh, you know, competition for the part of Catwoman. And Sean Young was so desperate to be cast as Catwoman that she went on the Joan Rivers show and did some really weird, like, performance as Catwoman. She made her own Catwoman suit and did this just fucking god-awful Catwoman impression, uh, like, which is just her giving a monologue directly to Tim Burton on all the reasons why he needs to cast her as Catwoman. It's just so desperate and so sad and the kind of thing that would only appear on like a daytime 90s talk show. <laughs> and not only that, but then Joan Rivers fucking interviews her for about 10 minutes about fucking Catwoman and why she should... And I just... I felt so sorry for that live audience just watching <laughs> this last night. That that poor, poor 90s live audience of Joan Rivers' show that day who just had to sit through that whole goddamn thing. Yeah, I I tuned out once once she... Once Sean Young, like, sat down and the interview began. I was like, I think I've seen enough. But I think we have a clip from that if we... Uh, yeah, let's go to the clip. I have a message for the director of Batman 2. How dare you not make time to see the Catwoman? Not even so much as granting me a meeting. How very rude of you. After all, I was in the original Batman cast. So yeah, pretty pretty crazy. <laughs> Just fucking ridiculous this woman. Uh I I this is something that I just recently discovered about, you know, her and her career like probably when I was browsing through Reddit something or just saw some mm -hmm. thing posted about her and that led me kind of down a rabbit hole to kind of, you know, just read up on her career. But <laughs> just seeing that, uh, just seeing that joke on her and uh, on the episode just really delighted <laughs> me uh, because I obviously this is what the critic is all about. These uh, super like detailed Hollywood jokes, uh, these super, you know, specific jokes about Hollywood personalities that only real insiders would know sometimes. <laughs> and I think this is one of them. And I, you know, it was just like, oh, I remembered why I loved the show when I saw <laughs> that. When when I realized it was, yeah, it was her and, and, and they were like exactly poking fun at that. It, it, man, it, it really delighted me. Yeah, that was great. All right. So then, uh, so, oh yeah. So we go to a, a Nuns in a Blender concert and this was really where it it hit home for me that like oh he yeah Johnny Rath is just like a generic rock star cuz like this is this is just a rock concert. This doesn't seem like it would be a grunge show or anything like they that. They had kind of a funny joke at the beginning of this where uh, Johnny Rotten yells to the crowd, "Are you ready to rock? Are you ready to rock?" Not yet. Brad's tying his shoe. Okay. <laughs> I thought that was uh, pretty funny. Yeah, man, this also this also just made me really miss going to concerts. It sure did. It sure did. And this is also where I think they made uh, some kind of attempt at humanizing Johnny Rath because he actually does pull Margot and Jay up on the stage and say, "Hey, these are my friends, Margot and Jay." But you know, if it was already 
he, I think he specifically says my friends Margot and yeah. Jay, and I'm like, dude, it's already been on the wire that you're dating this girl, and yeah. you just fucking <laughs> called her your friend, and it's like, uh, okay, so they like, I mean, I thought that was kind of cool, but like, it it didn't end up uh, redeeming him in any way. Yeah, and I was gonna say, well, they try to pull Jay on stage, but. Oh, that, that was also a great gag, and also another very uh, repeated gag throughout the oh, yeah. the, the show's entirety about how Jay is not just an overweight human being. He's literally so heavy <laughs> that he cannot use regular uh, transportation devices for humans, including having several guys and several security guards try to push and pull him up on a stage, and even the crane that has to lift him yeah. onto the stage uh, kind of malfunctions and breaks it's just such a uh uh man they beat they're really beating the the horse dead uh yeah. but but i mean it's funny every time you can't yeah i mean it's, it's great it's <laughs> that great. that is a kind of a well you really can keep going to yeah um so then uh oh yeah so after the concert margo is riding in johnny's limo um and what was this oh yeah like Oh yeah, so they like Johnny try tries to like make out with Margot and I guess like start like, you know, doing her in the back of a the limo, but she says she like stops him and says, you know, I'm not ready. Like, was he really about to like go all the way in the back of a limo? Like, I guess that's a that is a real rock star thing, but still like ugh. Dude, what the fuck? I mean, a limo is like way better than your fucking Kia Rio that you had in high school, dude. <laughs> it's better Christ. than the, the Spectra that I had. I'm trying to think if I ever got laid in that car. <laughs> I, man, I don't think I did. But like, I mean, dude, couples boning in the back seats of cars is obviously a thing. So why wouldn't boning in the back of a limo be? I mean, dude, he's a rock star. That's like living the dream. That's like totally something that Johnny Rath would do. Although you just reminded me about kind of a, a disturbing part of this episode that is also very unique to the times, which is that Margo is 16 years old. Yeah. Yeah. They never. <laughs> they didn't. They established that really late in the episode. <laughs> yeah she's 16 we don't know how old johnny rath is but we can assume he's older definitely over 21 yeah and um they never really addressed that no it's just a kind of a thing you know i mean i mean it, it, kind of like the woody allen uh, parody of manhattan that's the uh oh, yeah. the t- entire intro of the show i mean i think they even make woody allen jokes in other episodes and they like, absolutely do but this is way way back when he was still an idol even with all the controversy and this is uh, come on let's not kid ourselves this is way way back when you could say you know um the, you know all kinds of homophobic slurs without getting in trouble you could you know this was back when people were still making movies about dating you know teenagers that were not getting right. questioned <laughs> by the general public uh, th- it was just a completely different, uh, like, mass uh, public opinion about these types of things. This then. was back when the concept of political correctness was so new, people were making jokes about it because they thought it was a passing fad. And, in fact, that happens in this episode because we get a politically correct James Bond. Right, which I didn't think was a bad gag, actually. No, it uh, kind of works, but yeah. it is it is also very emblematic of the time of like, oh, isn't that so funny that uh, James Bond, like, respects women and, and, and wants enthusiastic consent? 
Well, before we begin, I need a list of all the women you've been with for the last 20 years. Hmm. Let's see. There's Pussy Galore, Holly Goodhead, Plenty O'Toole, and of course, Octopussy. Uh, maybe we should just cuddle. Cuddle my ass? That's sexual harassment, and I don't have to take it. Very, very old dated joke, but uh, that was actually one of the more enjoyable ones. Yeah. Though I do like that, that yeah, the, the woman who he's about to go to bed with asks him for a list of you know all the women he's been with and he just starts listing all the bond girls yeah pussy galore octopussy yeah. uh <laughs> and then she's like uh maybe we should just be friends or or whatever she says yeah 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 uh, exactly. so good oh oh you know what i kind of skipped past the part where Margot goes to johnny's house and just finds another girl there well this is after they made out in the limo yeah i mean this is well she I mean, there's a bit of setup here, right? Because she says she's not ready. Um, and, you know, right. Johnny says, oh, it's totally cool. Whenever you're ready, I'll wait, blah, blah, blah. And then she she's, like, starting to question, like, what she should have done. You know, did I do the right thing? Should I just have blah, blah, blah? And then she even asked Jay about it, right? Or something. Or she asked yeah. Jay's girlfriend or something about it. So and, she, then, and then, yeah. Yes. Yeah, she first goes to Eleanor, who says, you have to make... You, you basically have to wait so long that the man comes to a boil. And we see Franklin, right. who I guess is still boiling, um, uh, then goes to Jay, who talks about his date with quote-unquote share. I think this is specifically where we see Franklin uh, dressed as the Energizer Bunny <laughs> right. uh, saying that he keeps going and going and going, which also is an extremely dated, extremely cheap gag, <laughs> but also just barely worked in a way, like uh, very many jokes on yeah. this episode, just barely scratching the surface. So the Energizer Bunny, so there used to be these things called batteries, and <laughs> for all no. you gen z people out there just look up the energizer yeah. bunny on google jfgi yeah. for the love of god uh so then we get the the james bond parody and yeah this is where sort of where they call back to the sean young thing because jay mentions he likes the anti-smoking message and then gets interrupted by a dancing pack of cigarettes the company that owns this show makes phlegm fatale cigarettes, but I'm sure they'd agree that smoking is the worst. Smoke in the bathroom, smoke at the school. Don't listen to your parents, cause smoking's really cool. Which Doris then says that was her in 1954, uh, <laughs> until she got knocked up by the Fruit of the Loom banana. <laughs> gotta love doris i i always look forward to seeing her on in the scene she's great also just a lot of weird mascots in this show that have just just have lives of their own the i'm all for it man <laughs> I, I i'm here for it for sure yeah so then we get back to the alice looking for a preschool thing and basically duke gets involved he promises to help I'm Duke Phillips, and I want you to put this little girl in your school pronto. Well, I'm sorry, Mr. Leghorn, but we don't have an opening. You know what he's saying, Duke? He's saying that you can't get the daughter of the assistant to one of your most expendable employees into this preschool. Is that a compliment or an insult? An insult. I've never been so insulted in my life. Yeah, and this is, I think, uh, 
again, obviously Duke is just a complete um, cross on Ted Turner, right? And they even yeah. Ted Turner is like his enemy in in this episode. Um, they even mention how like Ted Turner uh, like has another, or was it a different episode? Um, I know that he was he was like mentioned as like owning another channel or uh, or something, but. But, but basically, like, um, Duke is, like, a complete ripoff of Ted Turner, right? Who's this basically a, a fake philanthropist. Yeah. And so he has to do all these, like, fake good acts for people that aren't really genuine. And so I think that's where um, uh, Jay comes in and he's like, you know, you wouldn't pass up an opportunity to help the the uh daughter-in-law or of your most expendable employee or something yeah. like that the daughter of the girlfriend of your most yeah. expendable employee <laughs> and and of course like duke jumps at the opportunity and and is like super excited to help out and is now morally obligated to do something so yeah so he busts into the office of the principal and basically yeah uh on a dare he builds his own preschool uh, I forget what it's called. It's just called like Duke Phillips Preschool or whatever. But the sign, the sign even says "Built on a Dare," which I thought was hilarious. And then there's this Duke cutout that uh, dispenses ice cream from its nose. Yeah, and I thought it was hilarious that uh, Duke gets all riled up that he doesn't own the nicest preschool in town, <laughs> right. so that he has to build the nicest preschool in town, and then the opening of the preschool is like the next day. Like yeah. he was able to <laughs> assemble a crew and build a brand new preschool and purchase the land and everything like in literally overnight. <laughs> like that was he, hilarious to me because yeah, of course Duke, he could do it. Duke is not going to be outdone. He has to have the biggest and the best uh, everything um so yeah at the opening of this preschool we get we see the faculty who is uh prince charles who we saw earlier get kicked out of rainbow's end uh sean young the beer bottle sean young still dressed in the broken beer <laughs> bottle and faceless by the way she never actually yeah. <laughs> appears uh in this episode these are also the the teachers of the preschool by the way right and then jimmy breslin who, yeah, to, to be honest, I had to look up who that was. Uh, I guess he was just like a famous New York journalist who wrote like for decades. He had a column that um, I guess if you lived in New York, you knew who Jimmy Breslin was. This uh, was the second pull of this episode where I didn't know who it was. The first one happened really early when they said that Margot is the only girl in town without a boyfriend. But there's this weird, obscure old Hollywood guy that keeps uh, hitting on her. I f I forget who they say that was. But that's again why I love this show because they actually attempt to make jokes like that. You know, they're yeah. like, <laughs> and it may have been to their demise because they were criticizing the very people that had uh you know control over their show and you know they were basically made a lot of. Cert, like direct criticisms of the Hollywood uh, elite and the guys who are pulling the strings and, and also very famous celebrities. And that's <laughs> really why this makes the show that like so great. And uh, part of the reason probably why it was canceled after two seasons as well. Yeah, I guess so. Cause yeah, this show, they're not afraid to, uh, you know, take Jimmy Breslin or Rex Reed down a peg. Um, <laughs> so that's kind of the, 
you know, that solves the uh, Alice problem, but we've still got Margot, um, who, so, oh yeah, there, there's that scene where she's basically, she's sulking in, in her room, and there's this, just this brief scene where she's just kind of like staring straight ahead and turning her lamp on and off. I, I don't know if that was like a reference to like some kind of horror movie or I was I thought maybe does that happen in Cape Fear? I don't know. Yeah, but. so I think we got a little bit off topic from earlier when we were discussing how Margot goes to Eleanor, I think, for advice, and then she goes to Jay, and then I think Jay says he likes the guy, right? He likes right. Johnny Rath, so he's like, oh, I don't see any harm in going over there and talking to him. So she's like, okay, well, maybe I am ready. And then she goes over there to go tell him that, like, oh, you know, um, maybe we can start making out or something. And then she opens the door, and, you know, his girl, his this other yeah. girl, blonde just, girl is just there. A, just a random girl who we don't know where she comes from or what her name is or anything. Yep. And then Johnny is right behind her, and he goes, I'm sorry. Uh, yeah. Very... Uh, I don't know, <laughs> just a very direct way to, uh, you know, ruin their relationship. Like, they couldn't, I don't know. It, yeah, it just seemed very convenient and just, like, they just needed to move the, the plot along. Again, Johnny Rath has no uh, personality beyond what they need it to be as a rock star for the show. Yeah, so flash forward, Margot is, like, sulking. She doesn't know what to do. Uh, she wants to get rid of him. So Jay gets a bright idea. He calls in Johnny Rath's parents, Herb and Moira Rathberg. We didn't shorten our name to impress the Gentiles. Didn't you kill your mom? No, that was just a song. Johnny Rath, your middle name is bogus. Oh, no, it's Shlomo. Johnny Shlomo, get the bags. The bags? A house this big, you can't spare room for your parents. And maybe Aunt Yetta. I guess he's... He's a good old Jewish boy. Who would have guessed that yeah. uh, Johnny Rath is Jewish at the end of this episode? I mean, complete sidebender. You know what? Is that were they making like a reference to David Lee Roth? I wonder. I I don't know, but I don't know if they were making any sort of reference to anything. They just wanted to make a funny <laughs> joke about old Jewish parents, like you know, coming in and and move, trying to move in with their with their yeah. rock star son. I think that's all it was. Yeah, I guess so. And yeah, Johnny Rath is so embarrassed of his parents immediately that he just jumps on his horse and leaves just with that, just immediately. Um, and doesn't that blonde girl like run after him and then eventually makes it on the horse? Uh, something like that. I don't really remember, but, but yeah, so Jay says, you know, no one can be cool in front of their parents. Then we get one of my favorite jokes of the episode, Sean Connery eating dinner with his parents. Mom, nobody can be cool in front of their parents. Not even Sean Connery? So when are you going to settle down with that nice Miss Moneypenny? For the last time, Dad, it's just a bloody movie. Pipe down, eat your agus. This was also great. Yeah, I like this one. <laughs> um, yeah, it's just his his mom telling him to, to pipe down and eat his haggis. So good. <laughs> yeah. But we get... Yeah, we get one more scene with Johnny Rath. He shows up to say goodbye to Margot because I guess he's trying to beg for forgiveness or whatever. Yeah, and writes a god awful love song for right. her, and uh, it's very it's like god awful in real life and also god awful like in the episode because it doesn't sway Margot and she's totally unconvinced. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. 
which kind of you know raises the question of how he became a famous rock star in the first place if he has no talent but uh but yeah margo tells him to get bent yeah he managed he like doesn't he like throw his guitar up in the air or something and it hits him on the head uh i don't know they yeah really... something like that yeah um and then uh yeah just the last couple things here um we're at the preschool uh <laughs> jimmy preslin rings the bell to, to start class or whatever. And then we realize, oh yeah, uh, Penny is the only kid at this school. Yes. Because <laughs> Duke just built it. Um, well, that's still pretty pretty great. Yeah, and well, and then the girlfriend says, um, like, oh, Jay, thanks for, uh, you know, creating, or thanks for being able to uh, have Penny go to this weird but wonderful preschool where she's the only student. Yeah. 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 And she won't learn anything because her teachers are Prince Charles, Sean Young, and Jimmy Breslin. Yeah. <laughs> but, I mean, you don't really learn anything in preschool, right? Just... Yeah, you just need somewhere to babysit you, really. Yeah, basically. Um, and then, and then, and yeah, uh, Margo also shows up to thank Jay for helping her. So... Yeah, Jay just gets to be everyone's savior in this episode. And then just the the last thing we see, we go back to the Pope and Don King still stuck in that hedge maze. Is that before or after the credits? I guess that's, that's before, before, the before the credits. Yeah, but they're stuck in the hedge maze. And that's the joke that you mentioned earlier where um, Don King's trying to set the Pope up in a fight against the Dalai Lama. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and it's funny because it's something that could actually happen in reality these days. <laughs> uh, yeah, who knows? I mean, things are so crazy. Don King was an, also an easy target of the 90s. Yep. I mean the hair, the uh, the vocal mannerisms, just the... the hanging out with Mike Tyson and <laughs> yeah. the whole crew he he you know assembled in the posse. Uh, I want to go back real quick before we end yeah. to to um, I think we already talked about the blatant Manhattan ripoff. I don't think there's much more to talk about that of the intro, but um, going even farther back before the episode even starts on the DVD in particular, uh, this oh. probably isn't <laughs> on, you know, all the online versions or whatever versions you're able to bootleg, but on the DVD, there's a specific disclaimer that comes on both in English and in French that says, uh, <laughs> the opinions expressed on the show are not those of Columbia TriStar and, you know, any uh, resemblance to, like, celebrities is, you know, purely coincidental and all that bullshit. And I just loved that. Um, <laughs> like, I just that they actually have to put that in just on the off chance that someone would fucking get so mad at the show and th actually <laughs> think that Columbia TriStar shared those opinions and was like, oh, how dare Columbia TriStar insult my favorite actor, Jimmy Bresden, and blah, 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 that they actually have to put a fucking disclaimer that says that. Well, they, they also put that disclaimer for the, the audio commentaries because they don't they don't know what the what they're going to say on there and uh they want them to speak honestly i guess or whatever um but yeah very funny that someone would get <laughs> just the idea that someone would get so offended over the critic that they would sue 
Sony or Columbia. Yeah, of course, it's a a legal thing that they're probably lawyers advise them to put in or or even, you know, who knows. But um, it it just it painted that picture in my head of some guy getting so (laughs) mad at an episode (laughs) of The Critic and blaming Columbia TriStar and like writing them an angry letter or just not watching any more of their you know shows or movies or anything it's hilarious which reminds me the opinions of jordan rubenow do not necessarily represent those of brian rubenow or it stinks the critic podcast i i say that in every episode so don't feel like that's a special thing that i just said right now bullshit i control you son i'm just kidding all right but that's the end of the episode uh Jordan, do you have anything to plug? Yeah, uh, FRNZ on SoundCloud. Um, it's been a while, but there's some dope shit on there, and there's going to be more coming very soon. Oh, yeah, so that that's your... Um, you, you basically make hip, like, what do the kids say, uh, trap beats? Not even. It's like <laughs> chill um, hip-hop beats, uh, you know, kind of lo-fi shit, but it's also... We, we get experimental with it. Uh, it's me and my best friend, uh, Matt Schleypack, who, of course, you know very well. Mm-hmm. Um, we've all been in a band together at some point, and we've known each other since we were all extremely young gentlemen. But, yeah, so he and I just kind of fuck around. We hang out all the time anyway, so we just started making music together, and uh, I'd be very happy if you could go check it out and throw it a like and a subscribe. Um, but, yeah, it's a little dancey, but mostly lo-fi, chill, hip-hop shit. Cool. So that's FRNZ on SoundCloud. Be sure to check it out. And, uh, oh, yeah, does Little Mac have anything to plug? Little Mac, what you got going on tonight? All right. Well, be sure to check that out. And uh, thanks for, uh, yeah, thanks for joining me on this episode. This was a lot of fun. I'm, I'm uh, honored and uh, very humbled and uh, very happy that you asked me to do it yeah of course and we'll see you all next week for another episode of it stinks the critic podcast thank you for listening to this episode of it stinks the critic podcast i'm your host brian rubinow our theme song is by brandon beck you can email the podcast at it stinks pod at gmail.com and find us on twitter and instagram at it stinks pod 